Exodus 35, verse 10. We come to the, the Israelites' building project. They've been in the midst of assembling the tabernacle after the pattern of the one in heaven. So let's, we'll pick up with that. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for this time we have together. Thank you for your word. We ask that your word will do in us what it needs to do, Lord. May it mature us. May it humble us. May it encourage us. May it rebuke us. May it do everything in our lives to keep us healthy. And we just pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will be with us today and give us ears to hear. And let these things sink down into our ears. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, Moses has been doing a lot of communicating with God and bringing things back to the people. Uh, they've been preparing, obviously, for the tabernacle and the meeting place of God. And it says, verse 10 says, All who were gifted artisans among you, all who are gifted artisans among you, shall come and make all the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tents, its covering, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets, the ark and its poles with the mercy seat, the veil, the covering, the table and its poles, and its utensils and showbread. Also the lampstand for the light, its utensils, its lamps, and the oil for light, the incense altar, its poles, the anointing oil, the sweet incense, the screen for the door at the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles, its utensils, its labor, and its base, its hangings of the court, its pillars, their sockets, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs, their cords, the garments of ministry for the ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron and the priests and the garments of his sons to minister as priests. So a lot of stuff, preparation. You've seen the tabernacle model we use a lot around here. Uh, we may throw that up on the screen again here before we leave today. But uh, all this stuff being getting ready to be prepared to make all this so that Israel will have a place where God will descend His presence. Now, what, <clears throat> what happens with us as believers, we... Um, let me write this on here. God is omnipresent he's everywhere all the time but what we need and what God is willing to do is his manifested presence now a lot of folks that are Christians don't even have an idea of the difference between that a lot of churches anymore don't have any idea of the difference between that God's everywhere he sees everything nothing escapes his jurisdiction It'll all be reconciled someday. The, the best way to get anything reconciled is to repent. Because if we don't repent and turn to God, then we'll have to answer for everything we've ever done wrong. And it ain't going to work out for us. It'll be too late. So what needs to happen now is we need, every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The best way to handle that is to do it now. And receive Him as our Lord and Savior and follow Him. If we wait till we die or wait till the end of time, all, all that, uh, and you've not done it on this side, it'll be too late. Oh, you, we're all going to, everybody's going to do it. Everybody. Hitler will be there doing it. Everybody's going to do it. Uh, 
uh, but it'll be too late for those who didn't do it on this side. So he's omnipresent. I know we all get frustrated with all the evil that goes on, all the child trafficking, and it's just horrendous to even think about what goes on uh, here in our world. None of that's, all that's going to, nothing, nothing's escaping the Lord. We don't have to worry about whether he's going to make things right. He is. But the alternative for people is to get out of their sin now, to get covered now, clothed like all the stuff we're talking about in Romans on Wednesday night. But then God has a manifested presence. He's not just everywhere watching everything. He's willing to manifest himself. And that's what Israel's after here with the tabernacle. That's what you and I are after. We want God's manifested presence. We want him to be present with us in our moments, in our situations. And so they're preparing for that. And all the congregation of children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for its service, and for the holy garments. So the, the tithe, or the first fruits, all that belongs to God. It's not ours, so we just bring it back to Him. But these offerings here are something over and above that, and they were, these are the people that are willing, right, to go beyond, above and beyond. And we, <clears throat> we've talked about that. We're never going to outgive God. We're so far in the hole when we start. Right? With salvation. I mean, He's forgiven us all our sins. We're never going to catch up to God's goodness and get even with Him, if I can say it that way. Uh, so we're never going to outgive God. And actually, David takes that a little further, don't he? he? He says in the Old Testament, He said, really, even beyond the first fruits or the tithe, when we bring God something, we're only giving something back to Him He's already given us. <laughs> so. Everything, every good gift has come from him. So, so these are the people that are willing. Now, it's interesting to me that sometimes God just wanted the people that were willing, not the people that felt the obligation, not the people that felt pressured to do it, but just people who said, "You're all, you're everything to us. We, we, we whatever. You can't ask too much of us." You remember when Gideon was getting ready to go to war? When he was getting ready to go to war. The guys on the other side had about 120 or 30,000. Gideon had like in the high 20s. Bad odds to start with, right? You know what the first thing God said? He said, let everybody that's a scaredy cat go home. He didn't say scaredy cat. I put that on. <laughs> he said, let everybody who's afraid just go to the house. I can't use them. That's heavy, ain't it? Let everybody that's going to be fearful about it, just tell them to go home. So then he got down to what, 10,000? And then God said, take them down to the water. I'm going to prove them. And he wound up with 300. Now, imagine being in Gideon's shoes. 130 over there. I've got about 30. Not the best odds, but we still got quite a few. <laughs> then we're down to 10,000. They still got 130. <laughs> now we're down to 300. But see, God showed up, right? He manifested himself in that moment and destroyed the enemy. And God tells us why he does that. He, he said, I want you all to know it's me that's doing it. It's not your own hand, your own strength. So it's, he's pretty good about sometimes uh, just saying, I just want the people that really want me. And 
these tag-alongers like the tribe of Dan, right? Always dragging her along, trying to pull them. You know, pretty soon you have to look at that person and say, and we've all had these experiences, not just with Christianity, but with anything. Don't you want this? <laughs> Am I going to have to drag you across the finish line? I mean, don't you, want, don't you know who God is? Don't you know how good he is? Are you just coming to church because you feel like you're going to be talked about if you don't? Or are you coming because you're really in love with him? When I was praying today, this morning here, I was actually here in the sanctuary, I was uh, thinking about praise, and I thought, the worship that goes on here gives us a platform, but we shouldn't be praising and worshiping because we like the song. That should be in our hearts before we come through these doors. Because of, we should be ready to raise our hands and praise and worship Him because we know who He is, what He's done in our lives. That's what should be prompting the praise out of us. And, and so God's looking. You remember when uh, He got uh, upset with the priest and He finally said, don't let anybody in here. God said, don't let anybody in here but the sons of Zadok. I don't want the rest of them coming in here. I want to be that person that God says, let him in. He loves me. Let him in. Not the person that's just doing it out of obligation. Not the person that just feels like they'll be talked about if they don't show up. But the person that wants to show up because they love God. And that's who we got to be. And so he said, hey, everyone whose spirit is willing, they brought the Lord's offering to work the tabernacle meeting for its service. They came both men and women. And as many had, as, as many as, verse 22, as many as had a willing heart. They brought earrings, nose rings, rings, necklaces, all jewelry of gold. That is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord. They brought the best stuff they had. If you read Malachi, or if you're an Italian, Malachi. If you read Malachi, we all know what it says about tithing. That God will rebuke the devourer, right? We understand that. And it works. We understand that. But that's not the, the overriding message of that book. If you read Malachi, what God's really upset about is because they keep bringing him leftovers. He said, you don't bring me the best sheep you got. You bring me the one that's blind and miserable. Why would God expect us to give us his best? Because that's exactly what he did. He didn't send gold and things that are corruptible like silver. He sent us his only begotten son. He went through heaven and said, what am I going to redeem these people with? The greatest gift I have. So that's why God could expect us to put him first. Because he gave us the best he had. Why wouldn't we bring him the best we had? And he says, they brought necklaces, jewelry, gold. That, I mean, you, you got these women giving their earrings away and their jewelry. Things that probably meant something to them. Maybe somebody passed it down. Every man who made an offering go to the Lord, every man with whom was found blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, red skins, ram, badger skins, <clears throat> brought them. Everyone who offered an offering of silver or bronze brought the Lord's offering, and everyone with whom was found acacia wood for the work of the service brought it. 
And the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had spun of blue, purple, and scarlet, and fine linen. And all the women whose heart stirred with wisdom spun yarn of goat hair. The rulers brought onyx stones and the stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate and spices and oil for the light, for the anointing oil and the sweet incense. And the children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord. So this was something beyond what they were required to bring. They brought, they brought it with a will and heart. They said, we're in. We're in. We want to help. We want to do all we can. <clears throat> I have people in my life, we all have probably people, and some of you are this way, you're this person in other people's lives. You help them, you're there to minister to them. You're, sometimes it's material things, sometimes it's spiritual things, sometimes it's a word of encouragement. <clears throat> but my, uh, one of the things that we have, the guy who supplied all of our audio-visual stuff watches us. He watches us because he, he wants to be fed. He likes the Word. He watches us all the time, but he also critiques us. It's good to have somebody that loves you that will critique you and say, you need to try this, you need to do this, because he's been, he's been uh, worked for Goldman Sachs. He's been at the Dove Awards, the guy that, is, that we work with here. He's, he's, been, he's seen everything. He's older. You know, and so it's good, and he loves us. Nothing's ever critical. He just says, hey, you might want to try this. You're not getting that shot. You're not. And this was all new to us, right? These lights that blinded me when I first started using them. You know, All that's new to us. But I also got somebody who cuts my hair who feels the same way. He ministers to me. He says, I, I don't want you to have anything that would distract people if you're going to stand in front of that camera. So he pulls all the hairs out of my ears. <laughs> He, he cleans my neckline. He don't want anything going on. He takes, he takes it seriously. I mean, he said, I never asked for any of that. He just said, I want to make sure you don't, you're not distract. You're distracting enough already. You don't want anything else. <laughs> so, uh, there's only so much anybody can do, right? Uh, so, but appreciating somebody in your life that can say, I'm here to help you. And somebody that when they when they may point out something to you, they're not doing it haughty like, look what I see and you don't see. But they're like a mom that says, Here, here's the kind of people we need in our life. The one that calls you away from your friends because you've got a hair like alfalfa sticking up and licks their own hand and puts it down and don't make a big deal out of it in front of your friends. We all need somebody like that in our lives, right? And that's, that's who God's called us to be, to come alongside people. And that's who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit don't embarrass us. He don't make us look stupid. He's here to point out to, for Christ to be glorified and to conquer us. That's, just, that's what He really means. And, and to lead us in paths of righteousness. The Holy Spirit, the Bible said, don't even speak of Himself. He come to glorify the Son. And so we need people like that in life. That I need to preach a message on it. Don't. Lick your hand and put somebody's hair down. <laughs> uh, and so he says, all these things and the women whose hearts were stirred with wisdom, they done all this for everything, these free will offering to the Lord, all the women whose hearts were willing. In verse 29, they were all willing to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord by the hand of Moses had commanded to be done. They were all willing. 
Not everybody's willing. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called... You know, some people don't want to be disturbed. Their life is so rigid and so programmed, they don't want anybody to mess with that, including the Holy Spirit. And that's not a very exciting life. <laughs> and he says, The children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord, and so they did all this. And Moses said to the children of Israel, verse 30, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uriah, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. He has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship to design artistic works. Do you know, with a rare exception, everything that we've done to this building in the last year and a half, two years, was done by people inside this church? With the exception of the stonework, and he was a Christian. Done with people inside here. Why? I've always done that for 34 years. I want people who have a heart for what's going on. I don't want some business out there that don't give a hoot about God coming in here working on His house. I want the people that tithe here to be blessed by that. Because they support the ministry and all, they're already, all, they were already bought in. They care whether it honors God or looks right. We had, we had a massive problem with this ceiling up here. And we had guys come together that are in this church and say, we can't let it look like that. And so we redone a bunch of stuff before anybody ever saw this or it was going to look really bad up here. And that's, that's what they, because they have a heart for God. The ceiling would have been... So much lower than what it is now if we hadn't corrected that. And uh, so, and then we, you know, we forgot something. We forgot baptistry rooms. And we had people walking from Walmart to get baptized and going, <laughs> and so we had to add that on, but we had somebody that, had, that could figure that out. And so it, we, wanna, we want the people inside the house to be blessed. That's just, we start here, right? And so God's bringing these people because they were willing. They had a heart for the work. Uh, and so, and God, look at this. He, it, it says the Spirit of God gave these people wisdom to do natural things. Now, I know everybody wants to be in the supernatural all the time, but we need people to do natural things. That's part of the body. And they're just as important as somebody who stands behind this pulpit. We all have a part. Remember where Paul said, what, can the nose or whatever say to the ear, or the ear say that you're not as important as I? Remember when he's talking about the parts of the body? We're all important. We all have functions. And God's called us to all help. And so he says they were the Spirit of the Lord's what helped them to be able to do that, to design the artistic works of gold and silver and cutting jewels for setting, carving wood, and the work in all manner of artistic workmanship. Verse 34, and, and he has put in his heart the ability to teach in, in him Aholiab and the son of Ahashemach and the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do all manner of work as an engraver. Design. God made them that. See, that's why I tell us, from time to time, you're not impressing God with your talents. He made you that. He designed you that way. You're des you have those talents because of Him, whatever they are. So we can't turn to God and say, look what a good job I'm doing here, God. 
Aren't you happy and impressed? He made us that way, right? And so he does, even these guys, that's what I'm saying. My grandmother had a sixth grade education. She left home when she was 13 because they said, you're going to have to get out and get a job. But she could sew like nobody's business. And there are people in Haiti and Israel and another place in Africa that have quilts and handmade bags to carry their stuff in because my grandmother sat in her house and sold year after year after year. Thousands of bags and quilts gone to these missionary outlets because she had a gift. She loved the Lord. I think by the time she was at the end of her life, she was giving most of her money away to the Lord and living on a little bit because she didn't have any bills at that point mostly. But she'd done what uh, some of these other people we read about. I think the guy that started J.C. Penney, by the time he was at the end of his life, they said he was giving 90% away and living on 10%. And somebody said, yeah, but look at how much money. He, he started from scratch like the rest of us. What kind of heart is that? How many people you know even have a heart like that? Right? I mean, that's amazing. And so she, she, my grandmother, she never taught Sunday school. She, she never did any of that. But she had a physical gift that God gave her. And she would lay in there. And she could get that stuff done in a hurry. Too. <laughs> and she had one room full of fabric. And she, most of that fabric went to the mission field the last 30 years of her life. Sixth grade education. But she knew how to can beans and corn. And so, one thing for sure, you're going to be warm and eat good if you, if you lived around her. So everybody's gifted different, right? Everybody's different. So he says, uh, And Bezalel and Aholiab in chapter 36, And every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all the Lord has commanded. I, I want this to happen in Basilea which includes living water, the well, and all the places we are around the globe. I want us to value the person that sweeps the floor as much as we value somebody that can sing the roof off. That's how we should be. That's who we should be. Because God, listen, <laughs> I've watched people, I am not gifted to make beds. I gave up on making beds 50 years ago. I quit when I was 7 years old because I wouldn't get that. But God gifts people. You know some people have the gift of hospitality. Do you know Kathleen Mayshall has the gift of hospitality? I mean, and that's beautiful. She, she's never stood on this platform, probably never will. But she has a gift, right? And all of us have gifts, but we need to recognize them and, and, and encourage people in those. And he says, then Moses <clears throat> uh, called Bezalel and the holy Ab and the gifted artisan in heart, uh, whose heart and the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the ark, for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing him freewill offerings every morning, every day. Then all the craftsmen were, who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing, and they spoke to Moses saying, 
the, uh, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp saying, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So he said, we got enough. I've done that one time in ministry. I told him, I said, well, you don't have to give any more of that. We give. But you got to have will and hearts. These people were going to keep bringing it until he stopped them. Man, that's awesome, really, isn't it? Let neither man or woman do any work for the offering of sanctuary, and the people were restrained from bringing. What? Now, how many ministries you know would do that too? I'll just let them keep bringing it. We'll do something else with it. Right? And I, I was able to do this one time. We had a project, and I said, hey, it's enough. Right? So, because people have a will and heart, you had to stop them from giving. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? And he says, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done, indeed too much. Uh, they brought too much already. Then all the gifted artisans among them who worked on the tabernacle made ten curtains woven of fine linen and blue, purple, and scarlet thread with the artistic designs of cherubim that they made them. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits and the width of the curtain was four cubits. The curtains were all the same size. And he coupled five curtains to one another and the other five curtains he coupled to one another. He made loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain on the selvage of one set. Likewise, he did on the outer edge the other curtain of the second set. Fifty loops he made one on one curtain. Fifty loops he made on the edge of the curtain and the end of the second set. The loops held one curtain to another that he made 50 clasps of gold and coupled the curtains to one another with their clasps that it might be one tabernacle. That it might be one. So it's expressing unity. Same thing the New Testament does, right? That we're to be one. What Jesus prayed in John 17, he said, Father, make them one like we are. Right? So, and, and he tells us, he says, I think Paul says, when one member suffers, we all ought to suffer with them. When one, one, one member rejoices, we ought to rejoice with them. If somebody in this congregation gets blessed with whatever, we ought to rejoice like we got it. And I feel that way. I feel that. I feel when people get blessed, it just blesses my soul. When, that, when God shows up and does something for them. And, and uh, he says, he made curtains of goat's hair for the tent <laughs> over the tabernacle. He made 11 curtains. The, Length of each curtain was 30 cubits. The width of each curtain was 4 cubits, 11 cubits. He coupled 5 cubits. I'm going to show you something here down in the next verse or two. Themselves and 6 curtains by themselves. He made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain. The outermost is one in one set. And 50 loops he made the edge of the curtain the second set. He also made 50 bronze clasps to couple the tent together that it might be one. Then he made... Uh, he stresses that. You see that? You remember, you know, in, in Psalms it says how beautiful it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity, right? Then the New Testament's got a lot of scriptures that promote that. But let me show you something else. The power of unity. God said, I'm going to have to come down there and confound those languages. That's the power of unity. You can't, you can't get people unified, right? What if everybody in America had the fear of the Lord in them, the bosses and everything, and we just all got together and said, we're not sending you another dime of tax money until you straighten your act up in Washington, D.C. If we all joined together, they, they couldn't do nothing about it. But we can't get that kind of unity. 
That's one of the reasons the church can be so powerful. Because we got the Holy Spirit, Jesus and the Father and all the angels that kept their first estate, and unity. If we get unified, uh, yeah, they're getting unified. And that and Russian and overwhelming. Yeah. And so unity just with the Tower of Babel. God came down because the unity is such a powerful force within itself. And it can be used for good or bad, as we're seeing. And so he says, uh, Then he made a covering for the tent of the ram skin, dyed red, the covering of the badger skins above that. So uh, some things I've read think that they use porpoise skins because it's waterproof. And the translation here is kind of lends itself that that's possible. They were using something that was waterproof to cover the tabernacle. For the tabernacle, he made boards of acacia wood standing upright. The length of each board was ten cubits. The width of each board was cubit and a half. Each board had two tenons for binding one to another. Thus he made for all the boards of the tabernacle. He made boards for the tabernacle, twenty boards for the south side, forty sockets of silver he made to go under the twenty boards, two sockets under each of the boards for its two tenons. And for the other side of the tabernacle, the north side, he made... 20 boards and their 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. For the west side of the tabernacle, he made six boards. He also made two boards for the two back corners of the tabernacle, and they were coupled at the bottom and coupled together on top by one ring. Thus he made of them two corners so that there are eight boards of sockets, 16 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. So this wood represents the humanity of Christ. The silver represents the the redemption that he would bring by taking on humanity for us. And then the gold also, as we read in other places here, represents his deity. So you have God in the flesh coming. Can we shoot that tabernacle up for a moment here? We have God in the flesh coming. <clears throat> so with this tabernacle, there's three main things that we want to see. We want to see... Christ and all of His redemptive work, right? Even from out here with these acacia boards hooked together. And then the way the tribes are placed, right? The tribe of Judah is in front of the, the door that always pointed east. And Jesus was born from the tribe of Judah, right? He's the door, right? So if you're going to come to Christ you, or come to God, you've got to come through the door. Jesus is the door. He, this is the tribe of Judah sit there because that was the line the line that would, Jesus would come through. And all this also points out what He's done for us. It also points out His humanity and His divinity, right? And His sacrifice, everything He done. Then it shows us pictures of man, and then we use it for meeting with God because that's what it represented. It represented meeting with God. This morning when I come to pray, that's how I pray. I came in here. If you'd have been in here, I was vocal. I was pretty vocal from here to here. Then I toned it down. Then I went back here and waited. But I was, if you'd have been here with us when we were praying, our staff was praying this morning, you would, have been, you would have heard me being very vocal right here. I was giving thanks to God for even little things. Very, I was thanking Him for my food for my children, for my helpmate. I was just being very elementary. 
So I gave God thanks for a little bit. Then I started praising Him. I praised Him for who He was. I called out some of His titles. I praised Him for things He'd done in my life, but also praised Him for things in the Scripture. I praised Him this morning for parting the Red Sea. I praised Him this morning for making the axe head float. I reminded Him that I knew who He was. All right? And then I repented. Yes, I repented this morning. I need to repent. And sometimes we repent for things we've done. Sometimes we repent for things we've left undone that we should have done. And then I went here and started speaking the word over me. I, I started praying certain scriptures. I am the righteousness of Christ, right? I, my position overrides my condition because I'm in Him. Things we talked about last night. And so I, I spoke the word over. And then I went over here and had a cup of coffee with the Lord. Just me and Him. That's when I toned it down. Up, up till this point, I was pretty vocal. That's my praise time. But here, I toned it down because it's just me and him one-on-one. -on -one. I just sipping on my coffee, quote-unquote, and telling him, being real with him, right? Being open with him. And then I let the Holy Spirit get involved before I take my petitions because I've got an idea of what I need to pray, but the Holy Spirit knows what I need to pray more than I do. So you let him get involved in this process so that when you go back here and pray, you're not praying according to your will, but you're praying according to God's will. So I used this, this, this model this morning. Then you go back here, and I found me a place to sit down and just wait and see if the Lord had anything to say back to me. See, I think that's where a lot of people miss in prayer. They think prayer is just them talking, right? And actually, a lot of people skip most of this furniture, and they run right back here. That's all prayer is to them. You see, they run back here and tell God, their request and then they sure don't slip back here and wait but a true prayer time a true moment with god would be to give thanks you enter his gates with thanksgiving right my battery just went dead i think you enter his gates with thanksgiving then you come into the courts with praise then you repent first piece of furniture met with is the burnt altar which represents repentance because god wants you all the stuff off of you that you might be packing. Because if you don't get a clear conscience there, you'll be distracted. Right? Let's be real. If, if you've got something that you've left undone or something you got involved in that you knew, knew wasn't God's will, you need to get that off of you because if you don't, you won't receive this stuff as you walk through here. You, you'll be distracted, right? Nothing like... Uh, and I think that's one of the devil's biggest tactics in our lives is to distract us. Look how many distractions there are. And then, you know, just go be real with God. Do not hold anything back from God. You don't have to write it in the newspaper, but you might as well be honest with Him at the table of showbread. Just have a cup of coffee with God and, and just open yourself up totally. He already knows. But He gives us that opportunity to get that stuff off of us. He wants you to be real. He already knows anyway, right? He said, uh, Nathaniel, I saw you over there sitting on that tree before you ever showed up, <laughs> right? And you, it, was, it was dangerous to, to think something around Jesus, right? Because He'd tell them what they were thinking. He'd say, why reason you among yourselves, <laughs> you know? But it's for our good. I've said this over the years. When God asks you a question, He ain't looking for no answer. He already knows the answer. He's given us a chance to come clean. 
And that's why it's important to use this model, I think, or, or go before the Lord. I'm not trying to be religious and just say, you've got to go pray like I do. It's not why I'm just saying, have a model of where you will spend time with God. You just won't run back here and give a bunch of requests and walk out on Him. And, and just have that cup of coffee with God uh, because of just being real and open to Him. And then let the Holy Spirit take your journey because you got you repented, you got clean, you got the Bible says He inhabits praises. So you need God in your prayer moment, right? You need that manifested presence in your prayer time. So praise is important. Praise is important when we get together as church. Worship can't happen unless we praise. You can't get back there behind that veil. You've got to come through the court of praise first. Back here's where we go into worship, the deeper moment. But that deeper moment's not coming if you don't praise. And praise is humility. A lot of people won't get involved in praise because it humbles them. I'm just being real with you. I took a bunch of men to promise keepers that I never saw praise in the church house. But when they got over there, Maybe they, they felt like nobody knew them. I watched some of these men start praising God. And, and, and to their credit, it carried on with a lot of them after they got broke through, right? After they realized how important and how freeing it is to praise God. So praise is, is important. And it does bring humility, right, to us. And so getting back through here to where you can pray and you can pray according to God's will, not your own. And then going behind that veil... And just giving God a few moments to respond. Now, I'm not, I'm not a supernatural human being other than the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in me. I mean, I'm, there's nothing special about any of us above somebody else. What, what I have access to, to, you have access to. That's who God is. But when I go behind that veil, I don't always get a response from God. Sometimes He's silent. But I at least want to give him time to talk. Have you ever been around somebody that talks and they never give you a chance to respond? <laughs> and, you're, and you just, and then they're gone. And you nice talking to you. So this, some, I feel like God feels that way. At least give him some time to respond. He loves you. He'd like to have some input in our lives. He loves us. I know we're hard to deal with. And his love is simply amazing. That he would, and his long suffering. When I think about how long suffering God is, it blows my mind. Blows my mind. And that's why I said what I said last night. These people running around in here, they're all, the Holy Spirit's showing up and exposing Jesus to them. Because Titus made that clear. He said, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. A lot of people are running around here, and some of them in your family, and some of them in mine. They're playing dumb. They're not dumb. The Lord's been revealing Himself to them, and they're resisting. Now, how long? Think about your own life. How long did God chase you down? How many roadblocks did He set up trying to get your attention? Well, he, you think He loves you more than He loves somebody? That's not how this works. He loves them as much as He loves us. You just keep praying, keep believing. And the same God that saved you will be the same God that will save them. That's what we believe, right? Give us our household, right? That's what we need. To, I feel that in my spirit this, today, and that's what we're going to pray. Uh, actually, we're going to do it right now, because I think that's where the Holy Spirit wants us to go. Let's pray for our households. 
That means your family. We all, we do, we're not selfish around here. We pray for all kinds of people and all kinds of things. But today, I want you to pray for your children, your grandchildren, and your offspring. I'm feeling the Holy Spirit in this. And that's what I'm going to do. I want to pray for the Robbins family. I want to pray that the ones that are prodigals will get, will get their tail back to the, where they belong. And I want the ones that are blind to have their eyes open. So I want you to join me right here. These guys that are watching, let's just pray together for our families. I'm, 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 I want us to pray for God to move in our family tree. Amen. You pray with me. Lord, we just pray right now, God. We, we got so many last names that are represented here today in this building. So many uh, family trees, the trees that have come together through marriage. We pray, God, we, for children that belong to us, grandchildren, aunts, uncles, grandparents, nieces, nephews, people that have married him that are now in-laws, and all of our outlaws. Lord, we pray right now for salvation to come to children, grandchildren, to spouses that have married in. Whatever the situation, I'm praying, God, for salvation to leave this auditorium and move throughout the regions of this United States to places all over this United States and around the world, God, where our family trees have, have sprouted. Lord, we pray for salvation. We pray for their eyes to be open. We pray for that prodigal to come to the end of everything and to look up from the pigs where he or she is at. We pray that all the deception in the name of Jesus Christ will be pulled away from those who are in deception, Lord, from daughters in deception and sons and grandchildren and nieces and nephews and uncles and aunts, all of that, fathers and mothers, all of that deception, we pray for that to be exposed and to be pulled away, that the scales will fall off of their eyes, Lord, that they'll have a heart for you, that they'll be humbled in their moment, that you will move in them through redemption. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be ministering to these folks that we love, that are part of our families, that some we can't even have fellowship with. We pray for the walls to come down in the name of Jesus and that Rahab will be born again, that all of them that have lived lives of sin, Lord, will come to the saving knowledge of you and that we'll be able to rejoice with them, every son, every daughter, Every niece, every nephew, every uncle, every aunt. We pray, Lord, for our family trees today. That you'll move in them. In Jesus' name. And everybody said. Amen.